0: Hi,
1: good morning. Thank you all for your patience um, as we started a little bit late this morning. We're very grateful to have Channel 8 here this morning um, recording uh, today's uh, Imagine 2020 speaker series. This is our 24th in our series that we launched uh, since we completed Denver's cultural plan, Imagine 2020. You're going to hear more about it in this video and then we'll start today's program. Imagine 2020 is Denver's cultural plan that was really developed by the people of Denver based on what they would like to see more of in regards to arts and culture in their city. And it's based on seven vision elements. So it provides a forward thinking way of looking at culture in our city and ways that we can strive for more engagement in the arts. What's been really exciting is to see the community come together and adopt the plan and advance it with their own vision, with their own organization.
2: A lot of the other neighborhoods, they got their dumpsters taken away, but it was in the alleys. For these housing projects, they put them right here on the streets. We wanted to decorate them a little bit for this community, give them ownership of their own space.
3: Wings of the City, A la Ciudad, is an art piece by Jorge Marin, a contemporary artist from Mexico.
1: It was about amplification. We got coverage here in town, but also in Mexico.
0: Free for Kids at the Denver Art Museum is really in the same spirit as Imagine 2020. You have the major institutions, they have wide open doors, and they really want to make their offer attractive to everybody in the city. I think that is something that's very Denver. Warp Warm is the Revolution, we're a civic health club, so we try to get people involved in civic issues, but we try to do it in ways that aren't too boring. Everything that we do with Warm Cookies, but also with the Stomping Ground games right now is geared towards getting regular community folks involved in learning about what the issues are and then taking action on it. That's what we do. That's what every one of our programs is about.
1: We need local creative problem solvers in order to build the kind of city that works for everybody. A city that is not just good for some, but great for all.
0: I think Youth On Record is important to Denver because anyone can just come in here and and
4: use the, the space whichever way they like. You're always able to meet more people. If you need uh, someone to sample guitar for your beat, you know, just anything at all. There's a lot of different people who come by. And I think that's really powerful for the community.
1: Hope Tank is a for-profit social enterprise where we sell gifts that give back. If we are going to be a city that's leading in uh, growth, we really need to include everyone in that growth and giving people jobs and opportunities to sell their products is a huge part of that. The
0: 303 Artway is a new nine mile urban trail that's proposed to connect various neighborhoods across a wide variety of social and economic conditions. We need people to come out to give us input, to remain engaged over a long period of time. It will take years to actually implement the 303 Artway idea. So making sure that people remain excited about this is really part of our challenge.
1: Everyone can get involved with Imagine 2020 and that's what we hope for. It's not just about art organizations, it's about bringing people together, it's about sharing what inspires you because the arts matter in Denver and everyone matters in the arts.
4: Quite frankly when we say let's imagine Denver in 2020, again we're talking about arts and culture and we're talking about it as a foundation of our quality of life and a foundation of really defining who we are.
1: So uh, hopefully that gave you a good overview. If you're not already familiar with Denver's cultural plan, Imagine 2020, um, I encourage you to go to our website and learn more. Um, But most importantly, we have our new year in review that's on the table. This is hot off the press. Thanks to our marketing team for um, uh, getting this ready for um, today's uh, uh, program. Um, in In this document, you'll have a chance to see what you all as a community have done to help the city arts and venues um, and your cohort uh, advanced arts culture and creativity in the city of denver so thank you all for participating in that and um, also on the table i'm sure the library will f- reference it as well um, is uh, information on upcoming programs at the denver public library uh, so sorry my name is ginger white i'm deputy director of denver arts and venues and it's my privilege to um, to kick off today's uh, Imagine 2020 speaker series, getting to know our city better, how data can guide community engagement efforts. Um, So we created this speaker series program um, as a way to ensure that our cultural plan, Imagine 2020, isn't dusty and doesn't just sit on the shelf and really provides an avenue for us as as we think, we hope, a leader in the community to bring ideas, um, coalesce, and give you an opportunity to um, come together on a semi-frequent basis um, as a community of cultural leaders and cultural workers and um, think about how we can ensure that the broadest of our community is having has the opportunity to take advantage of all the three great things that you are already doing. Um, and so hopefully this is an inspirational morning, and it also gives you some additional tools in your toolbox as you think about um, broader community engagement and accessibility, inclusiveness, and diversity in the work that you do. Um, Of course, we hope that throughout the morning you will talk and share on social media, it's okay if you get out your phones, Um, this is not an opera performance, Um, and uh, and tell people about this morning's program, so please hashtag Imagine2020 as you're you're, um, enjoying the morning. So, also please mark your calendar. We have a great program coming up um, later in September. Uh, It's hard to believe that we're already practically in September. Um, But we have a, a, a program called Public Art 101. Learn about the public art program and application process. So um, for those of you who work or know visual artists or other artists in our community, um, we, uh, as you might know, administer Denver's 1% for Public Art program. This is the program that allows um, us for all capital municipal projects over a million dollars to invest in new public art in those municipal projects. And um, you may remember about this time last year, Denver voters approved almost a billion dollars worth of bond projects um, throughout the city of Denver. So we have a lot of public art that's going to be coming our way. And so we want to make sure that Denver artists are poised to take advantage of those opportunities. So please, um, if you're interested, come. If you know those others that might be interested, please encourage them to come as well. And if you were intrigued about this morning's topic and you want to um, know more about the data that we have collected ever since the launch of Imagine 2020 with our partners at Corona Insights, Please come to our website. You can uh, do a deep dive in data uh, there. Um, but today is really a springboard from that conversation that we had in uh, in January, I believe. That Rachel Basie, who is our new co-chair of the Denver Commission on Cultural Apa- Affairs, is going to uh, tell you a little bit more about. Um, with that, I want to thank our commissioners who are in the room. We've got some new commissioners that just got recently appointed or are going through the appointment process. Um, so for our new commissioners and those that our our more seasoned veterans Um, thank you for being here and um, make sure and uh for those of you who don't know um our commissioners be sure to try to mingle and introduce yourselves because they're a great conduit to the city and to arts and venues with that i'm going to turn it over to rachel who's going to kick us off
2: two copies of our speaking points here So I see a few new faces in the room, and many familiar as well, and we thought it would just be helpful if we took a couple minutes to run through the Imagine 2020 plan and make sure we're all starting from the same platform. So in the spring of 2014, Denver's community came together through a series of meetings and interactive groups to inform and shape what became Imagine 2020, our culture plan, which is a strategic vision and future platform for arts, culture, and creativity in the city. Imagine 2020 is Denver's first cultural plan since 1989 and it reflects the vision goals and aspirations of everyone who contributed ideas through the planning process and is a guiding resource and support for the city's arts and culture in all its many forms. As leaders in this field and in in the spirit of collective leadership vision element number seven, today's speaker series invites us to use data to guide our community engagement efforts. And I have to say, this speaker series has become one of my favorite parts of the implementation of the plan. It's amazing the wealth of information that the staff has made available to all of us through the many community contacts out there. So let's just give a hand to the Arts and Venue staff for putting this series together. Okay, it just sounds like there's feedback to me. There's not? Okay. So if you participated in our speaker series earlier this year titled Data Snacks, you may remember that the data collected through both the 2014 and 2017 Imagine 2020 scientifically valid surveys revealed that our Denver residents are hungry for more arts, culture, and creativity in their daily lives. We also learned that too many residents still face barriers that prevent them from participating as much as they would like to. And there are still challenges in engaging diverse audiences within the city and county of Denver, especially within our Latino and African American communities. I think I'm off on the slides. So. In the spirit of vision element number three, accessibility, and with diversity, equity, and inclusion at the ac- and access at the forefront of the city's goals, we will learn how two city agencies, the Denver Public Library and the Denver Office of Children's Affairs, have used data to drive initiatives that positively impact under resourced communities. Today, we invite you to learn from the data that have been collected and the programs that have been developed as a result of these learnings and explore how they can inform, guide, and enhance your community engagement efforts. We're excited to have Jenny Lapierre, Adult Services Manager for the Denver Public Library, with us today. She works for the Eugene Field, Hamden, Ross University Hills, and Virginia Village branches and Lisa Piscopo deputy director of policy and analysis for the Office of Children's Affairs. They will both present and we'll have an opportunity to ask questions at the end. And so with that, I would like oh dear. to welcome Jenny first. The slides don't match. <laughs> okay. Great.
5: Right here for you. Thank you. Hi. Welcome, everybody. My name is Annie Kemmerling. Uh, Jenny will be speaking in just a moment. Uh, I'm manager of innovation and strategy with the Denver Public Library. And um, we're here to discuss kind of our process of um, how we've been using data uh, here at the library. I guess we're not here at the library. Excuse me. We're here at Arts and Venues. (laughs) <laughs> so, uh, so, let's uh, talk about where we're going to go today. Uh, so uh, like introduced earlier, Jenny is here, our manager of adult services. She's going to talk about some evaluation. And then Nick and Nora is also here with me that we're gonna, he is going to talk about um, our programming around services to immigrants and refugees as kind of a small case study uh, as part of our presentation today. Uh, we'll also get, I'll also give you a little bit of library context. Uh, I do want to preface the slides with, um, they are a little rough, some of the images, because we did do some snapshots of the actual data. I decided not just to include a little rabbit to symbolize the multiplication of something. So it is, they're not the prettiest, I want to be clear on that, but I do think there are some big ideas there and some big thoughts. I also want to say I'm gonna. Um, we're gonna reference a variety of tools and data sets for you today. Know that um, you can call the library at any time to find these resources. They're basically online, but we can help you connect with the resources that I'm going to reference here today. Okay. I also want to. Ref- I also want to kind of preface this with we're a big organization. You might not all work for big organizations, but we are kind of in a in a journey right now. We're also trying to kind of navigate this data, this data world. And not everyone in the organization is doing this. We kind of have pockets and we're learning as we go. So uh, come along with us. So uh, a little context about the library, so we are the most visited cultural attraction in Denver with over 4 million visitors going through our doors every year. Our central library alone has 2,800 visitors walking in daily, we have 13 million online visitors, we have over 9 million items circulated, and we have about over 400,000 people attending programs at our locations. And as Ginger referenced, there is a listing of our loca- of many of our programs on your table. We were founded in 1889. We are an independent city agency of the county, city and county of Denver. We are governed by a library commission that's appointed by the mayor. We do have 26 locations across the city in many of our neighborhoods. We have two bookmobiles and a bike. Uh, We have about 750 staff members. Not all of those are full time. And our budget is about $50 million. Yes. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not include our mission and vision. So we are constantly looking at inputs as part of our work. So inputs being different data points, we're talking, we're taking into account different city and mayoral point um, priorities. So something like imagine 2020, what are some of the city's priorities that we can help align some of our work to? Our commission, our community of course, our customers ongoing, we're having discussions with them often. Our staff, they're on the ground working with our customers all the time. What are they seeing and hearing? We are constantly looking at local and national trends, um, not only in our profession, but kind of across the board and in other sectors. Um, We are, again, kind of referencing our different partners at Imagine 2020 or when we're working with the different culturals, what are they hearing and seeing? Um, And then kind of emergent issues. What sort of trends? What sort of stuff is kind of bubbling out out there? So we're kind of doing constantly this scan around us. So um, I'm gonna highlight a couple of these very um, tangible tools for you. Um, This one is one of my favorites. This is called uh, For you all it's Demographics Now. Demographics Now is a database. you can get for free with your library card. You can sign up online and access it right away or you can come into one of our branches and get access. But this is a phenomenal resource. So if any of you are familiar with something like Esri, um, this is taking consumer uh, and demographic and geographic information and rolling it into one place. It is phenomenal. What you do is you basically can type in an address or a location and then a radius. And it'll give you basically psychodemographic information, or personas, or types of folks that might be living in that neighborhood. So all of our branches, they go through this exercise where they pull reports about their neighborhood. And what it does is it breaks down customers or, or folks living in the neighborhood by kind of who they are. And it takes and blends like maybe their socioeconomic status. It takes their education level. It takes anything and rolls it into one package, but it it combines it with consumer data, which is very interesting. You wouldn't believe. Well, we all know we're living in this time of big data, right? But it is amazing how it can kind of create a persona. So it kind of gives an idea of people's habits and daily lives and patterns. So it's quite a resource that you have access to for free. So we use that as part of our planning. then I'll kind of pull up. Many different city agencies uh, create uh, GIS data based on the city and county of Denver's information. So this is again kind of taking in different demographic information or different kind of um, different indicators and putting it into different heat maps or different um, resources. So this in particular one is an equity index, and this is put out by the Denver Environmental Health Com- Community Health Division. And later Lisa will talk about kind of Office of Children's Affairs and the work that they do with mapping. Uh, We use this often because we're able to overlay our locations onto a map like this to see where there's areas of need. Uh, Kind of switching up a little bit, we've um, done our own kind of community engagement work. I did put some copies of uh, the culminating document on your table. But this has been um, a a work in progress also over the past couple of years. We've been hosting community conversations, sometimes in the library, sometimes outside the library. But the key to these conversations, it's not about the library. It is about people's aspirations and challenges and barriers. And kind of using this to inform our work going forward some really big themes came out of these conversations Uh, I don't think any of us would find them surprising but things like uh, gentrification and safety and school equity Um, another big one about our neighbors and folks not feeling connected in the city so how do we kind of use this information that is a bit more qualitative to help inform the services and programs that we have in the different neighborhoods And then lastly, um, in terms of our inputs, we also track our internal data, as as I guess many of you do. Um, This is a stacked bar chart. It tells what's happening in our building at any moment in terms of who's checking out, or the amount of checkouts, the amount of people attending a program, the amount of computer use happening at one time. We have a lot of data in our organization, as I'm sure many of you do. I think something to keep in mind about this is, uh, and we're still struggling with this a little bit, do we need to be tracking this data? Are we making decisions based on this data? And are we kind of asking the right questions? Uh, So I think that's kind of something to keep in mind when you're thinking about your in-house data that we also use for decision making. So once we have some input, um, we also do some planning. So now we're going to kind of take all this data or these different pieces, qualitative and quantitative, to make some decisions and do some planning around that. So um, our executive team uh, works to create a strategic plan, uh, which we have on we have going at any moment uh, for. Years. This is our current one up here where we have community impacts and those sort of things, and that serves as our guiding document that all of our branches and locations and departments are aligning their work to. And then I just wanted to highlight this planning tool that we've been using um, so that we can make sure that we're aligning the work at our di- in our different communities up to our strategic plan. Each of our locations are given what's called a menu of opportunities where they can choose um, ways that they're going to deliver the different services to their community so for example Nicanor is going to talk about services to immigrants and refugees and That's one of our strategic priorities and the branches and the locations are asked to kind of be within this framework This menu of opportunities framework to deliver the services, but it might look different in different neighborhoods, right? this service to immigrants and refugees might look different in Cherry Creek than it does in the uh, Veldez Perry neighborhood. So keeping that in mind. Then our branches, again, kind of ugliness up here, but this is just a plan that our branches then develop. And they tell us what resources they need to do, what sort of um, staff time it takes to do those things, and um, develop a plan, and they propose that plan. Uh, based on kind of their community's needs and inputs that they've already had. So that kind of wraps up our planning portion of it. And then I'm going to hand it off to Jenny, who's going to talk about our evaluation piece.
3: Thank you. Okay, hi, I'm Jenny. We're going to take a little bit deeper dive with some of the stuff Annie was talking about. Um, first is our Power BI, so you'll see a visualization, this is a Microsoft Office product, and this allows us to look at a really broad picture and then dive down. For the instance, this one I just limited to adult and um, adult programming system-wide, so we can have a quick snapshot. Um, with our outcomes, Outcomes with um, qualitative and quantitative. So quantitative, we look at our attendance, the number of programs we're doing, the cost, the return on investment. We know free isn't free. And we also look a lot at our capacity with our staffing and our staffing and our spaces. Um, here's just some really raw data looking at um, everything that's underlying that first Power BI slide I was showing. Um, So this one, we're just looking at some trends of some times a day and certain types of program, the number of people that are attending, so we can um, pull some information from that. Um, We also look at the room capacity. So, for instance, if a room holds 30 but we're consistently getting 5 to 7, we're going to do some tweaks on that. And the flip side, if a room holds 30 but we're always getting 50, we need to um, make that a more comfortable experience for everyone. Um, Something that we've just done this past year in regards to, is anyone hearing the feedback? Closer? Okay. Um, So we've started in the last year and a half. We've never before captured how much time it actually takes to do a program. And as you know, programs are not linear. You always have lots of things bouncing in the air. Um, And then when staff at the end um, input how many people came, they always guesstimate one to two hours it took them to do this program. But we just had a feeling this wasn't quite accurate. And we want to make sure we have the capacity to do a program really well. So we had staff graciously time a program. This is an example of a screenshot. We use a free app called Time Tracker. You can get on an iPhone or your iPad. And every time they did anything about a program, they recorded it here. And so we're really getting a more realistic view of of how much time it's taking to do a program. A couple little arrows there. Um, And here's some raw data again. I'm so sorry. Is everyone hearing that feedback? Um, uh, So here's some information. So that one to two hours that... um, people reported that they were doing actually for a program that we think is pretty much just out of the box, it's actually taking a couple hours and it goes as high as some locations are spending as much as 33 hours. So when we look at the big picture and planning programs, we really want to make sure we have that capacity. And we'll be sharing all this information with our seniors when they go into service planning, which Annie talked about. So the qualitative part, um, we know that the the quantitative part just shows a little bit of the story. So we use surveys, and as I will um, say, these are not scientifically evaluated like the Plaka Cohen um, Culture Track um, survey, but we use surveys, customer feedback. We get customer feedback in person, um, over the phone. We have a great um, card they send us a lot of times, our webmaster, and um, our stories of impact, which I'll talk about last. This is just one survey that we've used. One of the questions here, um, and we're seeing from this, is our customers are reporting that they're learning something new and they want to have fun, so we're using this to design future programs, maybe at a particular location. Um, Our Community Technology Center really sets our gold standard of surveys. They offer lots and lots of programs, and they have great attendance, and they have everyone sitting in front of a computer, so they have to do that survey when they leave. And they're always evaluating those trends. And our manager of technology, Tracy, just recently told me that they want to be so responsive and they can be nimble. So if customers are asking, say, for instance, they want to learn about eBay, they can quickly schedule a program about that. If um, they're talking to a speaker, um, a presenter they hear has uh, too low of a voice, they're going to alter that for the next program. Um, And we found this helpful in this past year. Um, We wanted to know about how people find out about our programs because we know that takes a lot of effort to promote. Um, We actually did a big system-wide survey last year and it was surveyed all of our programs from youth to older adults. And the outcome was that um, word of mouth was king. But we isolated this survey and we did it at two branches for just adult programming this spring and our engaged brochure. So we know in this case our printed collateral is working. But what we really love with any survey um, and what the CTC, our Community Technology Center, referenced as well is we love the written in responses. Um, because this is really making the connections. Um, Of course, we love the kudos, but then we really like specifics. For instance, we want more in the southeast area, um, or would the instructor speak louder? Um, Also with the surveys, we do some zip code analysis. So on the right-hand side, we have a service area of a branch. I believe this is our Eugene Field location, with the little red star, and then all the zip codes on the left. Why we like this is that we know where our customers are traveling to and from to take advantage of a program, so if they're um, coming to a location that um, they normally don't go to but they want that topic, then we can get that program scheduled at a a branch closer to them. Here's a couple photos. Um, With the qualitative, photos tell the great story. And we have a lot of professional photos we use all the time, but the photos that the staff take in the spur of the moment are those really priceless impacts. And we can use those internally and if we get a photo release form externally. Um, The last part about the qualitative and the stories of impact that we talk about a lot um, is a, a brainchild of Annie's. We have a nice little icon on all the desktops all around the system. And any staff is empowered to enter a story of impact. So something that they, a customer tells them, or they overhear, or they observe, and it's this direct communication from the customers um, about uh, the impact. And we hear um, people are making social connections, and they're making friends, and they're getting library cards, and they're checking out material. Um, some quotes is, um, we were told, I have met and talked to folks I would have never crossed paths with otherwise. In a recent photograph and memory program that paired um, DU students with older adults, one of the students said she was afraid to interact with um, older adults, and now she's formed strong connections and it's helped ground her during a time when she was stressed in her life. Um, we had two great stories from moms about kids um, that picked up a certain type of dance. One, one kiddo started taking hip hop lessons after experiencing at the library, And another mom told us about her son loved a Peruvian dance program and even sent us a video of her kiddo doing it later on. Uh, Another great quote is uh, from a customer, every gift that I gave my family this Christmas was something I made at the library. Um, Another gentleman who's been coming to our sewing lounges, he was um, grateful that he learned learned a new skill and he saved a little money and then the last story that just came in last week i just love this from the community technology center um i I, the instructor was helping the customer at the very end print out the the final product and the older customer said that she always loved when her kiddo was little that he would come home and hang what he made in school on the fridge so now she gets to come home and she hangs what she made in school on the fridge for him to admire and so lastly when we take our quantitative and qualitative Um, we evaluate how to proceed and where to go next. So I'd like to introduce my colleague, Nicanor, who's manager of Immigrant Services.
0: Hello, how's everybody doing? All right. so my name is Nicanor Diaz, and I'm the Immigrant Services Manager for the Denver Public Library, and I'm going to be talking about a case study for a program that we offer at the library that's called the Plaza Program. Um, So I'm going to give you a little bit of background about the Plaza Program. It's been around at the library for a little over 10 years. It is a grant-funded program and it's this intergenerational program that aims at uh, uh, helping our community, our immigrant community, connect with resources, information, um, and information that they're looking for. It helps them build confidence, friendship and community. And in this program, we offer three main services. We offer an English conversation class, which helps people uh, overcome the fear of speaking English with other people that are also learning how to speak English. Um, we offer a, an arts and craft component, which is intergenerational when we invite families parents and children to work together on a craft project. Um, And then we offer assistance with the naturalization process. We help people prepare for the naturalization interview over at the Centennial, the USCIS office at Centennial. Um, That's the core component of the plaza program. And additionally, we never turn anybody away. Whoever, anybody, whoever comes into our library to our plaza program with whatever they need help with, we will either provide that to them or we will connect them to another agency that can help them. Um, We provide 44 hours of program, the plaza program at 10 10 locations throughout the city and county of Denver. We average about 1,800 participants a month and we employ about 35 staff members to staff the plaza program that speak many different languages. Um, so the program has evolved over the last several years it didn't it wasn't always 35 staff members we had it um, I think it started at about five locations and it was geared only towards Spanish speakers as we started gathering some data and analytical and anecdotal uh, we started noticing that our Denver population was changing and therefore we needed to change our program as well so over the last couple of years, we started hiring more uh, Vietnamese, Arabic, Somalic, and Amharic speakers. And we started noticing that some of the attendance at some of our plaza programs were going down, and that kind of coincided with some of the the shift in our communities that we were seeing. We... Um, would see, people would come into our plaza program and they would tell us that this would be their last plaza program because they were being pushed out of the neighborhood and they were relocating. Um, So as our our immigrant community shifted throughout Denver, we started to see a a dip in attendance in some of our plaza programs and we needed to make a decision. At the same time, while some of our locations were seeing uh, a dip in attendance numbers, we were starting to see other locations that had a lot more immigrant community members walking into our libraries. So we had to make the decision to close the plaza program at a couple of locations like Fort Warren, Byers, and Woodbury. But we were able to open them at Athmar in Southwest Denver, Bear Valley, Schlesman, Green Valley Ranch. So the the plaza program has kind of evolved as we collect information, um, and uh, it's been working pretty well. This is, um, this is a, a, a map that was done by a study from the Department, of Off- the Department of Immigrant and Refugee Affairs from the city and county of Denver. They did a neighborhood study of where our immigrant community lives, what languages they speak, what percentage of our Denver population is foreign-born. So this is a good example of some of those, those maps that we have been using in order to guide um, the planning of where the, the plaza program lives. Um, Another study that we used very closely was DPS, a couple of years ago, DPS released a language study um, of the top languages spoken in their schools, and that study has really helped us because we then used that study to decide which languages we need to be translating our publicity materials for our plaza program, and also... If we know that the top spoken languages are Spanish, Arabic, uh, Vietnamese, Somali, then we need to have the staff in our libraries that speak those languages. So so we're hiring people with that in mind. This is an example of what a plaza program looks like. And uh, I believe this is the uh, Hampton Branch. Um, But you can see that it's a a very, there's a lot of stuff going on. our programs average about 30 participants, um, and we typically have five to six staff members in there at a, at the, at a time. Um, so additionally, with the 1,800 people that come to our plaza program, we also survey them. Because this is a grant-funded program, we need to do a grant report once a year, and we capture some of that anecdotal information by serving serving our participants. This also lets us know which one of our three main programs are used the most. Um, As you can see in this one, our general plaza is is about 31%, arts and crafts is 35%, and English is 25%, but you can see that citizenship is only 8.3%. So with this information, we know that we need to work a little bit more on promoting the fact that we do provide citizenship assistance, but it's kind of tricky because it can be very intimidating for somebody to walk into the library and say, you know, I want to become a naturalized citizen and I need some help, and I don't know how to do that. Um, so that's we, we try really hard to to make the library a welcoming space for for our community to show up. But also, citizenship is the one that has the most tangible results. We know that if somebody comes to the library and practices their citizenship study test and becomes a naturalized citizen, that's very quantifiable. As Arts and Crafts, the general plaza and the English conversation is a little less quantifiable. Um, let's see. We also have an idea. These are all the branches that have plaza, and it breaks it down based on each branch and which activities they do. So for example, the first one is Athmar. And you can see that Athmar is almost 90% English conversation table. So with this, we know we, it, it helps the program adapt for each location. As you can see, it's, it's not all the same. Um, the, the, the reason why Athmar has such a large English conversation table is because of the space and the layout. So then this tells us that we need to be a little bit more creative and we can't have uh, 15 kids that are doing arts and crafts activities sitting along people that are trying to learn the language so it's not very conducive to learning and so we need to find better ways that we can restructure the program at Athmar so it can be welcoming for all different types of projects that people want to work on Um, and then the last thing that I wanted to talk about is we do collect a lot of information this was just a very small snapshot of how some of that information helps us determine how the plaza program should continue to grow and evolve but I also wanted to like to, to talk about The fact that the staff at our branches make a huge difference and in particular with our plaza program we really need to have somebody who has the passion to work with immigrants and um, Understands and is from the immigrant community We when we first started the program at the Sleshman library. It was struggling We knew the community was there but for some reason they weren't coming into the library Um, when we we worked with the the senior librarian over at the Sleshman library and we hired um, who is our first Amharic speaker librarian his name is Danny to go over to Sleshman and start working in the plaza programs and now the program is thriving there are any given day between 30 and 40 people going to the plaza program and it has just been amazing and we knew the community was there but any type of data wouldn't have helped us with the program it was really danny and his connection to the community which led to the success of the plaza program at slushman and that's all i have thank you
2: All right, so let's open it up for some questions. Oh, we're doing questions at the end. (laughs) Okay, so next I would like to welcome Dr. Lisa Piscopo from the um, policy, the director of policy and analysis from the Denver Office of Children's Affairs to share a little bit about what they're doing with community research.
4: Hi, everybody. Um, My name is Lisa Piscopo. I'm the Deputy Director for the Office of Children's Affairs. Um, We're the the arm of Children's Affairs that helps move the mayor's agenda around children and youth forward throughout the year. Uh, We don't really run programs, uh, but we do a lot of convening, a lot of using data to influence policy and um, programs and interventions across the city. We run we direct the efforts around the My Brother's Keeper initiative. We direct the Head Start program. Um, Alicia Boyd, my, co- my uh, colleague here today, runs the 5 by 5 program, which is particularly of interest to you folks. And if you don't know, that program um, is meant to incentivize kids to visit five cultural venues before the age of five. And it's a school readiness initiative run through our office. Um, We also have youth success and out-of-school time programs that we run through the Office of Children's Affairs. Um, And the reason I'm telling you all of this um, is because we use data to drive all this work. We use data to help influence where it is that we uh, incentivize programs through the Denver After School Alliance. Um, We use data to help us understand through the Children's Cabinet work um, what is needed, where it's needed. And How we can best be most efficient with the very limited funds that we have um, To improve outcomes for kids in Denver, and so what I wanted to share with you today is um, A date data tools. I have four data tools that are all available to you now um, On the internet uh, through the office of children's affairs website Um, And in order to do that too. I'm going to talk to you a little bit about the children's cabinet Uh, So The the Mayor's Children's Cabinet was established in 2012, and it consists of about 26 city agencies, only city agencies, not community partners, um, that were charged with working better together to improve outcomes for kids, basically working across silos to make sure that we're uh, um, collaborating and combining resources to have the greatest impact. The first charge of the children's cabinet members were to develop these citywide goals for kids. Uh, They include um, the entire lifespan of a child. So they begin early with talking about increasing the number of children who have access to high quality early childhood experiences, increasing the number of Denver third grade students who can read at grade level, decreasing the number of disconnected youth, increasing the number of students who complete a post-secondary pathway and obtain a job and increase the percentage of children who are at a healthy weight. Um, Underlying all of this is ensuring that all children have their basic needs met. And so this is kind of the outline that we use um, when we collect the data, when we advocate for programs and policies, and making sure that we're aligning the work that we choose to do through the Office of Children's Affairs with these overall citywide goals for kids. Now this is the first tool I'm going to talk to you about today. This is our Status of Denver's Children's Report. This is available online. Have anybody ever seen, used this before? Oh, so I have new people to get to use the data book. So this data book is not to, meant to be read cover to cover, um, unless you're as geeky as I am and, and are, can do that. Um, but basically it's a community resource and it covers all of um, the data that I can collect um, through the best sources available. So US Census Bureau data, school district data, Uh, state department of public health and environment data and some agency data um, to cover everything that we can to know everything that we can about um, what's happening in Denver for kids and families Uh, we include demographics like the ones that were mentioned earlier we include health health data birth data by neighborhood early childhood education family economics and community data so in here we have crime we have poverty data um, wherever I can, I illustrate it by neighborhood, um, but we almost always have trends over, over time for the entire city so that you can see how poverty, child poverty has gone up or down over time, um, children and immigrant families, we've got maps on, on um, where they are located, and I don't know, about 100, and maybe 100 maps or so included in the data book. I'm a geographer, which is why we have so many maps. But I find that maps are really great tools for helping communicate information to the people that I need to communicate information to. I don't usually get 30 minutes like I get with you guys today um, to explain what's in the data book. I need to make an impact very quickly and get policymakers and um, other staff and community partners to, to look at an image or look at some data and be able to use that data to help influence their decisions about policy making, programs, services, and interventions. I'm a big advocate in using data to be more efficient with how we use our resources and to be more impactful. So it's, we want to use data so it's not the big shotgun approach, you know, and spatter resources or money across the entire city. Let's be really targeted about where those resources are needed most and how it is that we can, uh, level the playing field for a lot of folks who live in areas of of, of challenge, cumulative disadvantage, which is what I'm going to talk about next. Um, this data book is available on our website. I have a data tool I'm showing you later. That's another way to get to it so I'll show you what that's, um, where that is as I get to the internet piece. Uh, back to that I don't have a lot of time to explain um, the the distribution of any kind of factors in Denver um, to some of the policymakers. I get five minutes, right, or less than that. So over time, what we've done is create um, what's called a child well-being index or an opportunity index. Um, why this is significant is that it's a summary map of these 11 indicators, um, and it's and it and it's just one map. So we add up all of the. All of the indicators and create a picture in which policymakers and folks and community partners can see the difference between places um, and overall challenges and opportunities by neighborhood. Um, This is significant not only that it's quick and easy to display for folks, but um, as a social scientist we really look at uh, the cumulative disadvantage by place. It's not just poverty that impacts outcomes for kids and families, right? It's not just a single parent family. It's not just a high crime neighborhood, but it's really the culmination of these things together that create the greatest obstacles for success for our kids and families. And so how do I explain that in one minute or less? So this is my solution. So this is really layering these maps with births to women without a high school diploma, teen births, overweight and obese kids, uh, kindergarten readiness, third graders not reading at grade level, ninth graders chronically absent, adults without a high school diploma, children in single-parent families, and children in poverty. That is an illustration of unemployment and violent crime. That's an illustration of what I did statistically to add up all of those variables to give you the summary map. Or this picture of opportunity or disadvantage in Denver. And it looks an awful lot like the equity map um, that libraries showed earlier. You can see that the darker areas on the map um, of Denver are the areas where we have where families and kids face the greatest challenges. We use this map in the Office of Children's Affairs to help incentivize funding. Um, so we get uh, $2A dollars. Um, for out of school time programs for example and what we do with those dollars is we put out an RFP for programs and if you are serving kids and families in these higher need areas you get more points in your RFP proposal um, so that's one way we use it to help um, incentivize investment in our chronically disadvantaged areas of the city so it's my vision that um, hopefully you guys find some use for this in understanding where outreach may be needed Uh, for attendance in cultural venues, Um, work with Alicia on getting more kids in these neighborhoods to attend five cultural venues by the age of five. Um, We also know that there's other barriers like transportation and language and other access issues, knowledge of what programs exist that are um, patterned very closely to what you see with this opportunity index. Um, I just talked about all of that, this is just the summary map. And so now, what I want to do is show you um, a cool tool. Just bear with me. There we go. So this is our story map. this is uh, a tool that's available through the, Depart- uh, the um, Office of Children's Affairs website. Um, underneath, on the, from the main page, it says Mayoral Initiatives, and that's the Children's Cabinet. Now, the Children's Cabinet um, uses data to help make better decisions around that collaborative body of work um, moving forward. So, I have all of the data that we use for the Children's Cabinet in this utility. So hopefully it's not only uh, available for the Children's Cabinet members, but also for all of you. So we're really transparent on how we're using the data, and this is what informs what we decide to work on over the next 12 to 18 months, for example. And I'll go into that in a minute. Um, So the goals for Denver's Children that I described on the second slide are all described here, and you can scroll down. These are the goals. You can click here and get to the status of denver kids report but as you scroll down you can see healthy weight is one of the goals Um, we have the data from the data book that's inner that this is static right here Uh, but a description of what it illustrates but then these maps are all interactive so in the city park neighborhood 24 percent of children ages 2 through 17 are estimated to be overweight and obese so whatever your program goals or your mission for your agencies or even neighborhood advocacy that you might want to undertake. These data are here to support you in those efforts, as well as the Children's Cabinet members around moving the needle on this particular goal. So you can scroll down through all of the goals and all of the data that helps support that work in this utility. So this is uh, three- and four-year-olds, um, uh, 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 three- and four-year-olds participating in preschool as you click around. And so that helps inform some of the work. You can zoom in and out and all that kind of stuff too. So you can go through all five of the goals. This is third grade reading. Um, I'll just say this piece. Um, What we've learned from the data around third grade reading is that um, in two Denver neighborhoods, 90% or more of the kids that live there are not proficient in reading at grade level in third grade. I always say that because it's an to me, a particularly urgent issue. We know what's going to happen um, as far as opportunity goes for those kids in those neighborhoods. And we have whole neighborhoods um, that, have, that are this disadvantaged. Those kids are already starting out um, with a disadvantage that's going to be hard to overcome for the rest of their life. Uh, so I like to draw attention to um, these areas of concern as well as the areas of opportunity so we can better target our resources and work together to improve outcomes for kids that live in those neighborhoods. Back to the geography piece, Um, I like to talk about the data uh, um, at the neighborhood scale, because again, it's that cumulative disadvantage or advantage, but it's also all of the things outside the school door that impact kids and families' chances for success, and it's a neighborhood issue. Um, As you saw from all the maps we've shown already, all these things pattern. And so we know that that we as a neighborhood or that we as a city need to really come together around whatever issue it is that you care about in those neighborhoods so that we can find ways to work together. It's not going to be just government that's going to be able to fix these. It's not just community partners. It's not just personal families that are going to fix these but a really a combination of everybody together that's going to be able to make improvements in opportunity for for these kids and uh, not to go into too much um, detail on each one of these things I could talk all day on all the data that's in the data book or included on the site what I really want you to know is that all this all of these data are available to you all the time so all you have to do is log into the website Um, The the opportunity index that we just talked about is included in here as well. And if you click on any of the neighborhoods, you get the indicators that I listed in the layering piece for each of the neighborhoods. So 19% of births are to women without a high school diploma in Lincoln Park. 5% of births are to teen mothers. 35% of children are overweight and obese, etc. So you can click on any neighborhood in the city and get all those stats that make up the data behind the index. and this tab is spending on children and youth in denver um that the that run through the city and county of denver so this is what we call a fiscal map and what it is is um an inventory of all the programs run by the city and county of denver this year 2018 we have 115 um resulting in about 254 million dollars spent on kids and families in denver this is the summary page you can see that the funding um, for those programs, 52% is dependent on the federal government, which is a scary thought to me. Um,
0: <clears throat>
4: so how can we be more strategic in, in making sure the programs we care about are sustainable over time? That's a conversation that we can have in the, as a city with our partners and in the children's cabinet to make sure that we're able to uh, sustain what it is that we believe in as right for kids. And this is all interactive, so you can scroll down and see all the programs by which agency and total investments. But you can also scroll over and click, so Arts and Venues turns in data to us every year, and you can click on Arts and Venues, and you can see the programs they fund in the city um, and to which primary service, community, and education. Um, Most of it is county-municipal dollars and and how it aligns with the overall goals of the the, of the city the mayor's children's cabinet and so you can combine offices and you can see how all that data rolls up so this is really geeky but also really transparent so you can see US community partners can can look at this and find out what the city's doing around particular issues and either uh, find ways to leverage that work how can you partner how can you fill gaps how can you understand um, where we can work better together and fit into that kind of uh, informal collective impact um, to improve outcomes for our kids and families. So you can also scroll through and get all of, you can break it down by goal. So this is basic needs and the programs and the number of kids served and healthy weight, uh, early childhood investment, third grade reading, et cetera. So you can scroll through, and you can spend all day in this, in this utility. Um, And lastly, what does all this really mean? So what we're trying to do is really use data to understand where need is in our city. We're trying to use data to be targeted and strategic about our investments and our programs and our services, but to what outcome? So one of the things that we've worked closely with libraries with through the children's cabinet is to come up with an innovation plan. So looking at all that data, it's led us to look at the biggest bang for our buck and the work that the Children's Cabinet decided to, choo- decided to work on for the next 12 to 18 months was around early childhood innovations. So we presented all this information to the mayor um, in April. And what we decided as the Children's Cabinet to work on was increasing access to child care. We shared all the data. This map explains the, ch- the childcare capacity. And the inequity in childcare capacity by neighborhood. We used these data to help support that argument um, that this is why we're focusing on early childhood over the next 12 to 18 months. And these are all the innovations that we, we proposed. Um, and then we did an early literacy campaign, which is primarily led by, by the libraries, but we are hoping over the next 12 to 18 months to get a, a strong citywide. Uh, plan in place to promote literacy across the city, especially in areas where we know um, it's needed most. And so that information is is the types of programs we're gonna be doing is listed um, on the bottom here. So all the work of the Children's Cabinet, all the data that we use is all included um, in this utility for you to use as well. Up here, you can click on that link and it brings up The data book that I just held up so here's all the data like I said it's it's mammoth but um, it's a resource you can use the the index at the beginning to find the information that you need but it goes all the way through Um, lots of maps Uh, these are demographics up at the beginning Um, this year in the data book I included this is the Hispanic population trends over time Um, and then the map, but I also included our surrounding counties this year in the data book because some of the questions are coming up as, you know, people don't stop at the border or neighborhood boundaries or the border of Denver, so what's happening right across our borders, what do the neighborhoods look like, where are people going, um, and how does that impact our programs and services, especially with Denver changing so much. And so you can go all the way through the data book here like that. And then I'm going to go back. This is my contact information. And if anybody wants to reach out to me, if anybody needs data, I'm happy to um, give you everything I've got. We're all about making these data accessible to everyone, helping people think through how best to use it to move people to action. Um, That's one of my my biggest challenges. And so any success stories you have or challenges you have, I'd love to hear about them. That's it. We do
6: okay.
2: All right. So now we're going to move some chairs up here for our speakers and ask them all to join us up here so that we can open it up for Q and A. This program is being taped for later viewing on Channel Eight. So um, we're going to have Susie Q Smith and. Brooke, I believe, are going to be wandering around with two microphones. If you have a question, please wait until one of them comes to you. And when you ask your question, please state your name and the organization that you're with so we can get that on the tape. Um, I do want to share with everyone that today's presentation will be up on Arts and Venues website by the end of the day, and it will be available, the whole taped version of it will be available on Channel 8, we imagine, by next week. Okay, so who has some questions?
4: How about some feedback? <laughs> there you go. Hi, I'm Andrew Strait
0: with Corona Insights. Uh, this is for the Denver Public Library. Um, you mentioned paying attention to new languages uh, being spoken in schools. And I was just curious which languages you're seeing the most of. So the ones that we've seen the most of are definitely Spanish, Vietnamese, Arabic, Somali, and Amharic. Um, oddly enough, I was just speaking with one of my coworkers who uh, manages the Plaza program, and she was telling me that we really need to hire some more Nepali speakers and Karen speakers. Karen is the largest um, community of refugees in Denver, and we know that there's a large population, a large community of Nepali speakers that live in Aurora, but that do come to our libraries and that we need to be ready to to serve them.
1: Hi, I'm Sarah from the Colorado Gerontological Society. I have a question for Lisa. Um, You mentioned there is a lot of data about children. Is there any database with information about Denver's older adults?
4: Yes, um, I think that the Community rights, um, uh, Community Partnerships and Human Rights Agency has a Department of Aging, and they have all the data there on older folks. In my data book, yes, I focus on the kids and the families, but some of it's general population stuff that will be helpful, but nothing um, I don't have anything put in here for older kids. I think that the library's resource on the demographics would probably be a really good bet. The ESRI... Um, The Esri tool that they offer there is the same tool that hosts my story map that I put up and also where I, uh, the software I use to make all my maps. Hi, my name is Molly. I'm with the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. I noticed that you guys are both using Power BI and ArcGIS for most of the visualizations you're using. What do you guys use to collect your data and what's your main database that you're pulling from, from both institutions?
5: Uh, Yeah, so from the library we have what's called an ILS, Uh, it's a library system that's basically like a database of our customers and our circulation trends. That's kind of our main source and then we have um, our, our staff are consistently entering data into a form and then recently though there is a data warehouse that is behind the visualization tool that we had to have built, but our ILS is kind of our main
4: source of data. I get it from lots of different places. So I pull from the U.S. Census Bureau website, uh, and that's a lot of the demographic data that you see up there. I pull from the Department, uh, Colorado Department of Education website, uh, and that's where the education data comes from. Some of it are special requests, like the third grade reading I get from the the district, uh, the school district, because I ask to have it done by, uh, give me the achievement rates by where kids live, not where they go to school. Um, Again, looking at that neighborhood focus. But most of my data are publicly available data sources from, from the web. And on
1: your site, when you talk through the mapping that is available, do you have the raw data available for people like us to be able to create our own visualizations to overlay on? Or is that, are we only getting access to those kind of maps that you displayed?
4: Um, the raw data it will be a case-by-case basis. Just contact me with what you want. Okay. Some of it I can give you, and some of it I can't. Awesome. Thank you.
0: Uh, Hi, my name is Eric and I'm also at the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. Uh, I had a question for our library folks. uh, In thinking about who's coming to your programs, who's giving you feedback that are coming to your programs and how you're shaping programming around that, I'm actually really curious about those who are not coming to your programs, those who don't come to the library, and how and what efforts you're doing to get data and get information from those groups because I think that's an equally important subset of our population that in thinking about programming we wanted I like thinking about well who's not coming and what would motivate them or drive them to come or what's what are those barriers etc.
5: So that's of interest to us too and um, I would say it's kind of uh, I don't know that it's a very um, planned out effort at this point. I think we have kind of the traditional outreach that we do where we are trying to be where folks are in different communities. Um, also, to one of the tools that had come up there that does combine our ILS data, so we're able to say, see who are not customers and who are customers overlaid with those maps. So we are able to make some targeted efforts when we see that we do not have cardholders in that area. Is that a perfect indicator? No, because to use our services, a a lot of them, you don't need a library card, right, to come to a program. So um, I think it has to do with those community engagement efforts. But we are able to say who's not using us, but again, only in that cardholder data, but not necessarily in terms of the programming. I think Nick and Nora spoke a little bit too, knowing that there is the trend happening and we're not seeing people in our locations, so how do we kind of make some targeted efforts there? I think we're still in a place where we're figuring out and navigating some of that work too.
0: we work with a lot of organizations that provide services to immigrants and refugees and I've had some conversations with some of the there was one gentleman in particular from the African Community Organization where he very truthfully said the reason why I've been to the library and I really didn't have a good experience and the reason why was because I didn't see anybody who looked like me I didn't see anything in my language and Really it was very off-putting and we know that if he is sharing that information with us and there's other people that are feeling like him. So that's, that's one of the things that we keep in mind when we hire our plaza staff and when we produce plaza material is that we want it to be reflective of the community that we're trying to serve. And we're also very mindful of the hiring that we do. We try to hire from the receiving community as well.
6: Hello, I'm Alicia Boyd, and I have a couple of questions for the library. One, I want to know, do you offer a translation phone line when people call in to, in their language, to uh, find out about uh, the programs you offer? Uh,
5: so we don't use a formal translation service, um, if that's what you're asking. We do have kind of two different opportunities. One is that um, right now for Spanish speakers, if if they call into the library, we're able to kind of connect them with a Spanish speaker um, immediately. Yeah, there's a phone number that our community can call to directly speak with a a Spanish speaker. We do also maintain something within our staff, uh, basically with kind of a language bank of um, our staff that might speak that language. Um, it's not always as quick, because we have to locate that staff member. I see. Yeah.
6: Also, the second question I have, do you provide uh, marketing or handout materials when um, participants come in to participate in your, your language programs?
5: In a specific language? Yes. Yeah. So I'll let Nick and or speak a bit more to that.
0: So we do advertise the PLAZA program in those top languages, in Vietnamese, uh, Amharic, Somali, Arabic, and Spanish. Is that what you were asking?
6: Yes, but also I'm thinking about partnerships with the colleges. We have many students that attend uh, universities and colleges and that speak uh, those languages. And so I was just thinking about using the library as a resource that they can go to and and support.
0: Yeah, we're actually going to be hosting a table at this upcoming International Students Fair that is happening. Um, We also recognize that international students could be really good plaza staff for us to hire, so maybe we should talk a little bit more because we're getting ready to hire some new activity (laughs) leaders this Friday, and it would be great for us to connect.
6: Thank you. Uh, My name is Angeles Ortega, and I'm with the Denver Museum of Nature and Science. I think we have a huge contention here. Um, A couple of questions. Um, I'm a former data geek with the Census Bureau, so I'm happy that you're mentioning the Census Bureau. And um, just to really make sure that everybody's aware that we we need to make sure that the community participates in answering those surveys and the questionnaire and the 2020 census that's coming up. Um, But my question was to to Niccolo, right, as far as when you plazas, you sort of define really well how you are programming the plazas. How long did it take you to analyze those data and to actually make those those structures?
0: So the program has I mean, it's constantly evolving, it's constantly changing. But the other thing that I mentioned is because it's grant funded and we have to do a grant report every year, we're constantly looking at that data. So it's, it's definitely an ongoing process. And then we work very closely with the Department of Immigrant and Refugee Affairs with uh, Jamie Torres and Maria Corral. And so they also let us know when they release their studies, they send it to us, and then and we start looking at that. Um, and you know we were able to mobilize and we're all we're able to make decisions fairly quickly in the sense of um, the plaza at Fort Warren and and Byers just wasn't working out and because it's a grant funded program we need to we need to spend those resources very carefully and it's it's I will say it's not that we just closed down the plaza at Byers overnight we Promoted we did everything we could to try to bring people in and it just wasn't happening and at the same time We were noticing we were getting demands from Green Valley Ranch from both customers and the staff Saying you know we people are coming in and they're asking for English classes, and you know we need to do something and so looking at the data throughout we're constantly looking at the data we're constantly making those decisions and I can see even now we're talking about how this plaza program could look in 2020 it might be a little bit different with new funding opportunities and how the the community is shifting within Denver
2: all right are there any final questions well on an end note I just want to share that um I work at the Art Students League of Denver and we've been partnering with the plaza program for five years and it has been tremendous the access to the data that they have to allow us to make that program really meet the community that we're all trying to serve in those libraries. So um, you know, as an arts organization I want to highly encourage everyone here to do more research on the data that's been presented today, because it really is helpful in ensuring that our programs can be successful in meeting community demands. And as we saw in those slides at the beginning, that's part of the goal of Imagine 2020, is making sure that arts are accessible to everyone where they live. So I want to give a big round of applause to all of our speakers today. And remind everyone that the slides will be available on the Arts and Venues website by the end of the day so that we can have access to these tremendous resources. And please take a few minutes to fill out your um, surveys because we all just learned the importance of data and survey responses on the table because they do allow all of us to make these programs better in the future and, and meet what you guys are interested in learning about. So thank you all for being here today.
6: I'm gonna go